This is the 18th season of Bass Talk Live. With your host, Matt Pangrad. BTL is brought to you by Lorance, Bass Cat Boats, AFCO, Strike King Lures, Sunline, Big Bite Baits, Spro, X-Zone Lures, Gamakatsu, The Bass Tank, Denali Rods, and Pro Guide Batteries. BTL, coming at ya! Good morning and welcome to another exciting edition of BTL, Bass Talk Live, where we are going to talk about bass fishing Got a good show today. One of my favorite guests. You know, I am a, a history buff when it comes to bass fishing. And uh, I think yesterday we actually had Marty Stone, analyst for MLF, on. And I mentioned that we had our guest today on, and we deemed him the Benjamin Button of bass fishing. Every year he shows up to the first term of the year, and he looks younger than the year before. It's some sort of miracle, especially with fishermen. You know, typically as fishermen get older, you get the weathered look. The wrinkles around the eyes, the hands. No, Bernie Schultz just shows up looking like he's out of a GQ magazine every year. That's the highest compliment. So we are going to get to Bernie Schultz. Uh, he has a lot of cool uh, baits. Uh, we're going to go through this thing again, the cyclical thing. I think it's like fashion with fishing lures. There are certain things that work, have worked, always will work, and work again. And it goes in cycles, and it becomes fashionable, and then it becomes unfashionable. Uh, and it's kind of a lost art, the the history of lures. I know there was a, uh, there was a, isn't Tulsa somewhere? It might have been at the aquarium, but they had like an antique lure museum there. And I just, I get, I love going through there uh, and, and seeing all of the, uh, all of the old lures and the stuff that we think is new uh, that isn't new. And maybe there's some, some, some older stuff that, that Bernie can, can show us uh, to help us put a few more fish in the boat. I also want to uh, talk to him about what he has going on. I think he's going, he's like the, master of ceremonies or the host or the the guest of honor at some major uh, lure collecting deal but hey before we get to bernie i do want to say we do have a major announcement less than an hour ago the 2023 bass pro tour roster came out on majorleaguefishing.com I'm 99% sure this is right because it's so fresh out. It hasn't, I, I, there's, it's like not in print anywhere, but I spent the last 45 minutes going through it, double checking my list. Uh, there's 80 anglers. We'll start with the guys who are out for 2023 based on what I said. Like I said, I checked this three times. So if there's a guy that I'm missing or isn't, I, I guess it would be my fault and you can't come after me and send me emails. But uh, Bobby Lane, we knew that. He came on. He's fishing the Opens. Paul Elias, Jason Lambert, Mike McClellan, Ish Monroe, Shaw Grigsby, and Clavion John. So that would be one, two, three, four, five, six, seven anglers uh, not returning to the 2023 uh, BPT. Now, I don't know if some of those are because they didn't qualify via points. Some of those might be retirement. Some of those might be headed in a different direction in their careers. Uh, but those are the seven that are out back. We had Tim Horton on that talked about his retirement and he was moving on. 
Timmy couldn't get enough. He is back for another year of the BPT. And Keith Poche is also on that list. Now, I did a little bit more research on that. Six days ago, Keith was on uh, with Ricky Bosford over on the Bass 365 podcast. Uh, kind of perused through that. And and basically what uh, Keith said, let me pull my notes here. So he is planning on fishing both. Uh, the BPT, and I'd heard about this, uh, and this was the first time that I heard a BPT angler actually vocalize that, was that they signed something with the BPT, and I don't know how long it's been in their rules, but if they miss a day of competition that they're scheduled for to compete in another circuit, uh, they're done. They're, they can't come back. It's not like, hey, I missed a day and I can fish the next tournament. They're like done out of the BPT. They cannot miss a day of the BPT unless they're done. Now, based on what Keith said, Bass's rules read uh, that you can miss a day or miss a tournament, but should you qualify for the Bassmaster Classic through the points at the end of the year, then that disqualifies you for classic qualification. So Keith says he is going to have to miss two Elite Series tournaments this year because he can't miss any BPTs. He's going to fish the rest of the Elite Series, but then uh, to keep his classic dreams alive for the following year, he's already in the 2023, but for the 2024 Classic, he is going to fish one division of the Bassmaster Opens. So that's kind of where that stands. Uh, in this year, the rookies this year, Matt Becker, Josh Butler, Mitch Crane, John Hunter, Nick LeBrun, Spencer Shuffield, and... Jacob Wall, uh, with the with uh, Bobby uh, and and Ish leaving, and a couple others. The list of guys that I've had so far that have bounced from the BPT in the last four years, um, and that are now uh, on the Elite Series or uh, fishing the Opens this year would be Jason uh, Jason Christie, Justin Atkins, John Cox, who's fishing just the Elite Series this year, Greg Hackney. Mike Iconelli, Brandon Polinick, Jacob Peroznik, and the G-Man, Gerald Swindle. So a lot of moving and shaking. There's still uh, Bassmaster Classic berths on the line this week on Pickwick. Bass Nation National Championship. Uh, one Elite Series berth. Uh, Matty Wong there, who made the Elite Series this year, he's defending his title on Pickwick. Interesting to see how that goes down. That's a lot of names, a lot of numbers, a lot of stats. Now I'm ready to talk. Old Bates. With BTL fan favorite Bernie Schultz. Bernie, that was a lot of names and numbers and trying to figure out what the heck is going on, huh? Yeah, it is. It's kind of a shocker, really, some of the names that aren't on the list. I figured Shaw and, and Paul would still be at it. I'm, I'm not sure what's – Shaw's my neighbor. He only lives as a crow flies a few miles from the house, but um, probably two miles. But uh, – I haven't talked to him, so I don't know where he's at, what what his headspace is right now. And, and like I said, I don't know. I mean, dude, Sean and, and Paul, I mean, Elias was kneeling and reeling and winning classics before I was born, Bernie. So, I mean, that's four decades of this stuff. So, I mean, I, I don't know what where it is as far as retirement or if it was a point steal or if they're just taking a break. But we'll figure all that out. It's kind of my job with the BTL show here to figure that out. So, we'll cross that bridge as soon as I as I get to it. But like I said, that list just came out about 45 minutes ago over on uh uh MLF. But I, I was surprised there are some names on there that I thought were going to the opens. You know, you just hear stuff through the gray. Imagine that bass fisherman talking, Bernie. Uh through the grapevine and they're back and then some surprise names that I thought were back that aren't and then the whole Keith Poche thing, but hey, it is what it is. You've been through this every year for the for the past couple decades. Yeah, I mean, I jumped around a little bit. I did FLW and then came 
back to bass. I did both simultaneously when you could back before there was conflicts in the schedules. Um, how these guys manage, like uh, John Cox, how he manages to do both tours is amazing to me. But anyway, um, that's kind of the nature of the beast. You know, guys go where their sponsors want them to, or they go where there's a path of least resistance. Uh, maybe they like to schedule better. Maybe they got frustrated with, with the tour. Who knows? But mm -hmm. there's all kinds of reasons for moving. Ideally, Bernie, if you were to pull the top 200 anglers, let's just do BPT and Elite Series guys and say, hey, take politics out, take tours out. What is the ideal number of tour level events in a year? Because you've got roughly it's eight to 10 now, depending on the specialty events and the classic. But if you were to just pull them, how many do you guys want to fish a year? Take all the politics out. I'm comfortable with the number there is, but I have a lot of other things going on, you know, business ob obligations and whatnot. But, you know, some guys want to fish more, some want to fish less. I think 10 is a really good number. Um, it, it, everybody's different. I can't speak for the other guys. I can just tell mm -hmm. you what works for me at this stage of the game. I got you. It's it's interesting because it's a week long. It's grueling for these tournaments by the time you do the practice in either three or four day tournament. Uh you know, so it's kind of hard. Well, I guess golf is like that, but you can compete in in however many up to what thirty five golf tournaments. All the individual sports, NASCAR, uh, the bowling. It seems like there's a lot more opportunities at that top level. And then as you climb those ranks and you be, get exemptions and you can fish or fish or compete at the higher, then you see the guys kind of pairing back. But I feel like for the majority, those guys when they're in their twenties and and thirties and forties, I mean, it's like nine months out of the year and a lot of the other individual sports, 25, 30, 35 events. Yeah. It's, it can be overwhelming. And, and for some, it's not enough. I mean, there's guys that just live on the road and that's, I was that guy when I was a lot younger and single and no really um, major responsibilities. But as time goes on, you, you know, family and, and business obligations, sponsor obligations. I also do a lot of writing, as you know, yep. so it's, Juggling all that, uh, 10 tournaments to me is, is plenty. Uh, I also like saltwater fishing. That's kind of my passion. When I'm not on the, on the tour, I'm home and saltwater fishing with my son and some other guys I know. But um, everybody's different. You know, just kind of whatever suits your style. All right, let's let's talk about fishing a little bit because you had a very interesting 2022. You, you had a reverse Bernie Schultz year. Yeah, usually like usually you'll you'll pop a good one in the middle and then you'll you'll kind of struggle during the middle and then it's like oh we got bernie up north and it's just boom 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 and you're fighting right there for the classic berth well this year i was like dang bernie bernie's on fire he's putting himself in good position but you kind of reversed it all your good ones were at the beginning and then you kind of struggled one by the time we got up north where you typically catch their butt yeah i mean it was a great start um the wheels fell off at Toledo Bend. Uh, it, I had a very unusual thing happen. It's, it's completely frustrating, and just to even think back on it. On this, I caught him pretty good the first day. Not great, but I was in contention. And the second morning, uh, first thing in the morning, I hook a six pounder on a topwater walking bait, and the fish jumps a couple of times, and I think I'm home free. And then it jumps a third time, and my line goes slack, and I thought how could I have broken this fish off? I, it was the rig I was using was set up for snook. I mean, I catch big fish on that rig and I was stunned that it came off. Well, I reeled my line in and there's a perfect loop knot 
at the end of my line, the line didn't break. The uh, line tie in the lure pulled out of the lure. And from what? that point on, it was just a, a, a string of lost fish. That day, the next tournament, the next tournament. And I can't explain it, just really bad, bad luck on trying to land fish. I don't think it was anything mechanic-wise or technique-wise. I just think I got in a, a string of, of just bad, you know, percentages. Um, kind of recovered a little bit at the St. Lawrence, but on day three of the St. Lawrence, I lost my two biggest fish. And, and those would have put me in the top 10. And, and just from there, I could never recover. Hmm. I think you meant, you meant fork. I think you said Toledo Bend. Fork? Yes, I'm sorry. Fork. It's all good. I just want to yep. make sure yep. that it yeah, was I'm fork. Because I looked at it because you had like almost 16 pounds on the first day. Is that the first time in competition you've had a a a uh, bait come apart while you're fighting a fish like that? Or the split ring come out of the... or the what is the thing that screws into the nose? Yeah, the what line tie pulled out. Yeah, the line um, tie pull out. I've had hook hangers pull out of a bait, especially on lipless baits mm -hmm. or crankbaits. Um, but um, never a line tie on a topwater walking bait. And this is a big bait. I was throwing a big bait to cull fish mm -hmm. from the, you know, with my technique. And uh, it's a bait I use for snook fish. And I'm not going to say the brand because it, it's not one I represent. And right. I don't want to throw anybody under the bus it may have been an anomaly i don't know but that that shouldn't happen the, the line tie should not give way on on the nose of the lure and that was really frustrating that fish would have set me up for the rest of the day instead it, it was the start of the fall what's crazy to me uh and you know i, I talked to a lot of guys and hear a lot of stories and then fish the open you know, i've fished a bunch of opens over the last three years is you can does it feel like there's like some sort of weird force where crazy stuff happens at the most inopportune times in bass fishing where the fishing gods are going to be like, ah, you think you've got it figured out. We're going to throw this at you that literally you can catch 5,000 fish and it'll never happen. And the one that you need in the exact moment on the day that you need it, when you need it, the the weird voodoo stuff starts raining down. Is that just me or do, I mean, does that is that something that is a real thing? Now, that's me. You just described me to a T. I, I'm not a lucky person, or unless you consider bad luck, I, I find a way to mess things up pretty pretty regularly. But it, um, yeah, there's been a lot of those over the years. Things that prevented me from winning, things that prevented me from making classics, or you know, uh, good checks in individual events, whatever. It's it's just uh, it, it's part of it. But I've had breaks too. You know, I've had opportunities that I probably shouldn't have been afforded uh, go my way. So. Yeah. You know, hopefully it averages out. I don't, you kind of, it's weird. I always remember the negative things more so than the good positive things. When I look back over my career, it's just kind of frustrating in that regard. Which is weird because you've had an amazing career. It's weird. I was talking with Brad Hallman, who will be joining you on the uh, Bassmaster Elite Series in 2023. Yeah, that's cool. I like Brad. Yeah, I uh, had, had fished it, I think, for four, three or four years there from 2006 to like 2009. And, and I was I was bitching and moaning about, bad luck happened to me and he goes dude he goes here's the reality because he had a lot of stuff happen the same thing this year right and then critical fish massive fish five pounder on a top water he knows he has to finish in the top 20 to make the elite series he has this fish whooped it's all on camera you, you should watch it on his youtube he's like i got her i got her you know it's the morning of day two the final day of the opens this is the fish and his co-angler goes watch that brush pile and he goes what bro and now it's stuck in the brush pile. And he had it beat on a topwater. Oh, and 
line slack. He's literally telling his co-angler, dude, this has happened all year to me. I've lost the key fish. He goes, I don't, that brush pile came out of nowhere. He works on it for two or three minutes. Co-angler goes, there, there's your bait. Well, it was another bait from someone else that had broken off in the tree, so it wasn't his bait. So he's like, my bait's still in the tree. He's got a spook with you know three sets of treble hooks on. And they look down, and the fish is pinned up against it. They pull the entire brush pile into the boat. The fish is still on there after three minutes, and it's the single bite. He didn't call anything else the rest of the day. It's the single bite that got him back on the Elite Series. How about that? He said he had like 15 things go wrong all year where he's looking to be like, oh, I wouldn't have to catch him. I wouldn't have to catch him. They're coming off at the boat. And he said then at one moment, everything turned, and now he's, he's ready to go out and beat the world. Yeah, I need I needed a couple of those this year. It, um, I can relate. I can fully relate to all that. Um, but I didn't get the the you know the the gift at the end that I needed. All right. Uh, I mentioned this before I brought you on, and I couldn't remember based on our conversation that I had. You're are you the distinguished guest of honor at one of the best uh, and most prestigious bait uh, and antique tackle collecting? What's going on, Bernie? No, no, it's I'm a co-host. Um, okay, the Florida club that I belong to uh, hosts a number of shows each year. The Florida Antique Tackle Collectors, and there there are clubs around the country. The the club that I partnered with, there's a guy named Steve Herzog and and another guy named Harry Matthews that belong to the Carolina Antique Tackle Collectors. And the three of us got together and we're hosting a show in Savannah, Georgia. It starts uh, Thursday. Runs through Sunday at the uh, Embassy Suites right off I-95 in North Savannah. And uh, basically, I'm just, there's no guest of honor about it. I'm, I'm, I'm bottle washer, floor janitor, sweeper, you know, whatever. I'm, I'm doing it all. And uh, those, those guys are actually, they're picking up the most of it. Great partners. And um, the show's sold out. Uh, even in spite of the hurricane, people are still coming. And uh, which is a pretty strong statement. And it uh, I'm rolling out of here. As soon as we're done here, I'm going to roll out and, and get up there and do my part. Sold out as far as people who have bought booths to sell and show antique tackle. Cause it, exactly. is it, I just pulled it up. It's F A T C dot net. Correct. Okay. F-A-T-C. I'm going to show it on the screen here. Cause I didn't realize that. So this thing's open to the public. So for five bucks, you can roll into Savannah, hang out with you and see all sorts of cool stuff from the past. Oh, there's a bunch of guys. There's guys that are that are way more knowledgeable than I am, and uh, they'll see some incredible exhibits. Um, yeah, that's it. It, um, you know, it's to me, it's it's pretty special. It's the tools of my trade. I I love antique tackle. Uh, it's the it's not just the the lures themselves, but how they evolved in our culture, and uh, how they speak to the history of our sport. They define the history of our sport as long as, you know, along with the people that uh, develop the lures. But um, it's just a it's a way for guys that have the same passion to get together and swap, sell, trade. Um, you know, it's just it's a fun, fun event. And you learn a lot. You, you see a lot of cool stuff that you won't see otherwise. Now, I would imagine that based on where you are in Florida, uh, Florida has a lot of of anglers a lot of people who of all ages you have young and then you have old you got the retired you got the snowbirds so i would imagine when it comes to i mean florida would have to be number one for a list of guys who collect antique lures because you've got people from all over the country and different species and different genres that all end up in 
in Florida with spare time on their hands to share their passion. Yeah, it's uh, we get a lot of people from up north as they retire or just come to visit. And uh, the wintertime is kind of our season when that happens. And our regular show at Daytona, which is our biggest event every year, that's canceled for now. Uh, the hotel's under repair because of the last hurricane. Um, it, it's on Daytona Beach, and Daytona took took a pretty good lashing from the last storm. And now it's getting another one this week. Um, so the Savannah show kind of gained popularity in a hurry because of that, you know, that other show canceling. There used to be a show in Myrtle Beach, uh, South Carolina, and that show no longer is in existence. So our show kind of blew up. In, in short order. It's the first annual, it's called the Savannah Southern Classic. It's the first annual event. Um, the hotel sold out, the room, uh, conference room with tables are all sold out. It's gonna be pretty active. And like I said, you know, th this is not an ideal week to be hold hosting a show because yeah. uh, Florida's, you know, under all kinds of warnings and, and uh, storm alerts, but people are finding their way there. Huh, so what are you taking? I'm taking some bunch of different things, really. A um, little bit of Florida stuff that I collect and some miscellaneous companies. Uh, there's all kinds of areas to collect antique tackle. Uh, there's guys that are dedicated to reels, guys that are dedicated to rods. Other people collect uh, minnow buckets, uh, lures. Some guys like metal lures. Some guys like wood lures. Some guys like color collecting uh, and gals, I shouldn't exclude any. There's women collectors that are very uh, passionate about it and, and advanced in their collecting. Um, so it's there's something for everybody. There's a lot of young kids, that, that, uh, and we need more of that. We need to, uh, to recruit some young people and so that they gain a, an appreciation for our history in the sport of fishing and as well as the, uh, the antiquities that, that kind of go along with that, the, the angling artifacts that we you know, guys like me and the guys I'll be sharing this week with have a passion for. And I, I think it's important. I, I, I just, it almost feels like a little bit like we're a dying breed. It, I, I wish this younger generation would really embrace what, what came before them and, and uh, go to shows and learn about the, the history of our sport and uh, the lure development, which is kind of unique to our culture. There were lures overseas which we've talked about uh, on previous podcasts, but the lure, as you know it, the plug, the wooden plug, that's an invention in our culture, in our country. And the development is, you know, run for 150 years now, I guess, 130 anyway, on developing lures. And uh, you talked about it before I came on that, you know, there's no real new ideas in fishing. That's not exactly accurate, but a lot of the stuff that people assume are new today were actually being developed or, or conceived a hundred years ago. So, to catch bass or just yeah. to catch fish? Fish, but bass, you know, there was a whole slice of the market back in the beginning that targeted bass, muskie, and pike. Those were the three given, you know, game fish species that were targeted most in freshwater as far as lure development. Uh, that doesn't speak to fly fishing for salmon mm -hmm. and trout and all that. That's a whole other, you know, group in itself. And and those guys come to our shows as well. But um, yeah, it's just, it, it was species related, you know, some guys back then and, or people I should say fished for table fare, you know, to, 
it was to survive in, in many cases. Others did it for sport. The, the elite did it for sport. Um, but it's just, to me, it's so interesting and, and uh, you know, such a compliment to our culture, how it, it, it developed in the United States. In North America, really, the Canadians had a big part in it. And then when this stuff all started, it was mostly trolling, wasn't it? Because with the technology to cast and retrieve really wasn't there with the line and the length and the high-end reels until, I mean, that was later, right? It was all trolling. Yeah, well, a little of both. Um, you know, keep in mind back then, in the very beginning, there weren't powerboats. So people sculled or they rowed to drag lures behind the boat. But there was casting. And smart anglers probably used current to their advantage to get their lures to loft in the water column. Um, a lot of the lures that were early uh, were subsurface lures. There were topwater baits, but very few. And those kind of evolved. Uh, you know, nowadays there's so many topwater concepts and, and designs. It's, it's unlimited, really. But uh, the earliest minnows were subsurface baits for the most part. And uh, trolling was definitely an approach and but casting you know also had a big play in it what's your favorite like what's your jam what are you known for in the in the industry for antique stuff yeah i'm all over the map um i've I've got some stuff to show you here but i'm all over the map i like metal i like i like wood i like uh, plastic um it, it, it just i like gadgetry stuff that was probably you know not very effective at catching fish and, and didn't have a long lifespan on the market. Uh, those a lot of times end up being the most collectible pieces. They didn't survive. So not many of them were made. Uh, you know, I like articulating baits, baits that move and have hinges and, you know, kind of different features, whatnot, but I'm all over the place. Uh, I can show you some stuff that I'm yeah. taking. I'm just curious. So even back then over a hundred years ago, they had gimmick baits. Absolutely. Novelty lures is what okay, we call novel, them. Novelty lures. And they yeah. were they were designed just like there are novelty lures out there today to get the guy who's like, that looks cool. I'm buying it at the hardware store. Well, go back a few in recent years, the kinds of lures that won best of show at ICAST. Those lures, most of them don't have a shelf life for, for any length of time. Um, they're novelty lures. But... It's just, you know, I'm sure the inventor had the best intentions and thought he had the, the, the last word in, in catching fish, but uh, the public decides that and the fish decided ultimately. So if, if the lure doesn't produce, it's it's gone. So I kind of look for those. I, li- I like the obscure. Um, I- I'm going to show you some baits real quick while we're right. on the subject because I know you're going to move along. This is a um, glass minnow tube. Let me get this. Little, oh, there you go. Yeah. And then a little, a little bit, bit over hard. and then up. Yep. Okay. Four, four hooks. And it literally is a glass tube with four hooks on it. <laughs> That's right. And this is, this is the cap. There's a cap right here. I'll just turn it. You can see it. Yep. Okay. That's an aluminum cap that slides up that, that loop of wire that you see, which is also the line tie. That's where you would tie your line right there. Okay. And you slide that cap up and insert uh, a minnow. I'm losing my cords yep. here. Uh, you put a minnow there. inside, and the idea was that it would keep the minnow alive for multiple presentations or multiple fish, multiple catches. And uh, you didn't have to go through a bunch of live bait that way. And they were used for other type of, of 
critters like grasshoppers and crickets and you know lizards whatever people stuck all kinds of things in these these tubes and there's quite a few of these out there so they must have been somewhat successful in sales uh, there were a number of different manufacturers and they evolved eventually into celluloid and plastic tubes because glass breaks so easily. This is just a, glass. a big pipe come up and just crush it. Oh, yeah. Yeah, I'm sure that happened. And, and then it, there's no way to land them because all the hooks are attached to the glass tube. Yeah, exactly. But, uh, yeah, these, they're pretty fragile, but they're out there. And it, it, it's a cool collectible. It's that There's a lot of guys out there that focus on these or they are a part of their collection. Wow. And uh, that's a glass minute tube. This is made by the Detroit Glass Minute Tube Company. And uh, there's other, like I said, other brands. As you show them, I'm going to describe them for our iTunes and podcast listeners. Or you can describe them, too, just so they can get a mental visual as they're Yeah, well, this one, is, it's, it's like yeah, a it's, test tube, really. It looks like a test tube with a glass really um, cylinder. Uh, and it's um, got a, uh, this one has a, the design on this one, some of them have a cap at the rear. Some have a cap at the nose. This one's at the nose. It's a sliding aluminum disc that just covers the opening mm -hmm. and it creates a chamber inside where a minnow is supposedly able to survive. I don't know how, but he, that was the concept. And then the hooks are attached to wire harnesses on the outside of the lure. The antique okay. lure guys were not very big on uh, changing out trebles, were they? Like, I mean, when you buy a bait, you're fishing with the hook that it came on. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, but you know what? They're incredibly sharp. The better the the lure back in the day. I mean, I've got lures that are pre like pre nineteen ten that are better points than some of the lures you get today off the shelf uh, by far. I mean, they're really? they're incredibly sharp. Now here's another interesting bait. This is a uh, eager frog. It was made by Eager Bait Company. The the guy that developed this was uh, William Eager or Billy Eager. And he was a frog farmer. He sold frog legs to restaurants around the country. And then he figured out a process to utilize the skin from the frogs that he was harvesting and stretch it over a wood body. So that's actual frog skin draped over a wooden body. It's got glass eyes, if you can see those. Yeah, yeah. It's a familiar, it's somewhat of a Zara spook cigar walking bait shape. Yes, this is a topwater bait, and I'm sure it was used for walking, although the head's a little bulbous. It might have bobbed a little more than walked, but um, this guy is uh, highly collectible. Um, there, Before the frogskin uh, concept was developed, he was actually painting these lures, and, and the earliest painting models on this same body are very desirable. They're, they're much rarer than when he developed the uh, frogskin overlay that that took off in fact he licensed that to other companies like shakespeare and pawpaw which were big manufacturers back in the day and uh they utilized the same process now whether they did it or they farmed it out to him that's a subject of debate but um pretty cool concept and uh so it's the concept is simple it's, it's to make the bait look as lively and and you know uh, accurate to true life as possible Okay, uh, I'm on the I'm on the internet here perusing. So something that was revolutionary when I heard it come out was: Did Lucky Craft not have a real skin jerk bait where they stretched fish skin over a a pointer and then it would, as you fished it, it would get more beat up? But isn't that kind of the same thought as what he was doing with the with the frogs? 
Yeah, like I said, there's not many new ideas in fishing. Yeah, there's there's people that are putting, they're still making um, skin body lures now. They use uh, snake skin and different reptiles and whatnot. Mm -hmm. So yeah, the concept is still being utilized, but Billy Eager was the first to, to develop and patent it. And he shared it for a cost, uh, kind of like the salt impregnation thing with soft plastics. Those guys that invented that are licensing that to other companies and making a royalty on that. But um, anyway, yeah, that, that's, that's that. And then here's one of my favorite plastic lures. I think I might have shown this to you in previous podcasts. This is a Super Strike shrimp, and it's an articulating lure. As you can see, the body's multi-jointed, and it's made of celluloid, an early celluloid. And what's cool about this, it was developed in St. Augustine, Florida, which at the time was a, the shrimp harvesting capital of the United States. Um, and it still is today a big player in the shrimp harvesting, you know, shrimp, shrimp industry. Mm -hmm. Well, this guy was a osteopath in, in, um, in, uh, I'm, I'm sorry, I'm, I'll take that back. He was a dentist in, uh, St. Augustine and he fished and he saw an opportunity to make a artificial shrimp. And he developed one of the coolest baits of all time. It, the eyes, if you can see those, are yeah. ladies' hat pins from the <laughs> period. They're glass black hat pins. And uh, he utilized those to uh, make it look more lifelike. And then he painted all the accents on the inside of the lure body. This guy was thinking outside the box. Most lures are painted outside. This guy painted them on the inside because he didn't want fish to be able to remove the color as they wore on the lure chewing on it. That's smart. Yeah. So it's a, it's a very cool lure. These are highly collectible and that's called a super strike shrimp out of St. Augustine, Florida. Uh, I drew a guy in the last, uh, I drew a Cajun out of uh, South Louisiana in the last open. And he was like, man, he's like, you go down around me and you want to catch bass. He goes, if you have 12 shrimp, he goes, you put them under a cork and you'll catch 12 bass. I said, right. really? I said, no. shrimp are that big. He said but that bass absolutely love shrimp, and they even use a lot of shrimp imitating soft plastics, flipping and pitching it around the grass and the mats there to catch largemouth. Yeah, St. August, uh, I'm back on St. August, excuse me, the St. John's River is a hotbed for shrimp fishing for really? bass. Yeah. I, I just think of that, I mean, I'm in Oklahoma, but I mean, it just covering all those tournaments in Florida – I don't ever remember anyone getting on a shrimp pattern. Well, it's it's the time of year. We're always okay. there in early spring, and the shrimp runs in the summer through fall. Okay, and, uh, but it, it's it's a de definitely it's a deal. It's, you know, a lot of the docks come to life because the the shrimp are around lighted docks and whatnot, and uh, the bass will use those for ambush points. But uh, yeah, you, a lot of people mistake um, shrimp that are flipping and, and leaping out of the water being chased for shad they think they're shad and they're actually shrimp but uh yeah that's a phenomenon on the st john's river and it's 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 an annual event and there's guys that go over there just to throw cast nets for shrimp um not just for fishing but to eat it, it, it's a pretty strong run i mean they they load up that river at times that sounds like it'd be fun yeah it is well i, I travel with cliff prince he's a master at that mm -hmm. he knows all about that but I mean, dude, you could like catch a bucket of shrimp to eat, catch a 20 pound bag of fish that are eating on the shrimp. Yeah, like, that's could. a day. Yeah, you, you sure could. Yeah. All right. What else you got? Uh, I'm going to show you my coolest frog. Is that the one you sent me the picture of? Yes. 
And this is the coolest frog of all time to me. It's not the oldest and probably one of the rarest. So this is a, it's called a mather frog. It's very delicate. Okay. If you look at this thing, it's got right a there. fan blade on the belly. Okay. That's the belly of the frog. Kind of hard to hold this thing. Holy cow. Okay. As you pull it through the water, that fan blade turns. And then if, if you look above the lure, there's like a, a wire form that runs through the center of the body and it connects to the, to the uh, legs. There's a, a apparatus on the tail or actually between the legs. As the fan blade turns, it rotates that, that wire form, which is connected to the legs and makes the legs kick. And one of the legs is disconnected, but that's what it looks like. So it's literally like a ceiling. So picture just a, a carved wooden frog with, with different sections on the leg and the bottom legitimately looks like a ceiling fan. Absolutely. It's a ceiling fan attached to the bottom. It is. With then, and then the stuff on the top looks like one of those suspension or one of those bridges like in Florida that you see where they like kind of angle up into like the triangle deal on the top. Yeah, yeah. Oh, and then there's a prop on the back. No, actually that's the, the legs attached to that piece. Okay. Right, I got you right there. And that's what makes the legs go up, you know, back and forth. As you can see, the legs are hinged right here. Yep, yep. And as the prop turns, the wire form turns and this piece right here will go up and down, but the legs are disconnected right now. So it's kind of fragile. I mean, how does that work after one eats it, that that thing is not just absolutely mangled, Bernie? I only know of two of these in existence. So that tells you your answers right there. They didn't survive. Yeah. Those le- I mean, the feet, what are the feet made out of? They're, um, they're metal. Metal the, the, feet. Yeah. The, the upper legs are wood. The, the torso or the, the head and the body of the frog. I'm, I'm off the screen here. Sorry. Yeah, you're good. All that's wood. And then the lower section of the legs, this part, and then the feet are all metal. And it's That's actually fantastic. pretty heavy. Yeah, this this thing definitely. There's no way it floated. I don't. I, I, you would think it would be designed to float, but I, I can't imagine this thing being buoyant. I I mean, obviously that'll never see water or know exactly what it looks like. But I would love to just see what the heck that thing did in the water. Yeah. Well. I mean, what do you think it does? And so you pull it, so it goes, brrr, and the fan blades below spin to cause commotion. Correct. And then do the legs kick also? Yes, the fan blade forces the legs to kick. That's the mechanism that makes the, the legs contract and expand or, you know, I don't know what the kind of buckle and then extend. But that's it. That's a mather frog and they're rare as hen's teeth. That's probably the best bait I got. So like when you take that, this, are you assuming you're not having it for sale, but you'll take it to show the... Yeah, I've, I show, I've got a small frog collection. I've shown it a couple of times. I'm going to take some of those up there. And, you know, I'm, be, being a host, I'm not going to really have an opportunity to spend a lot of time at my own table and, and talk about, you know, baits and whatnot. I'll, I'll be um, trying to make sure people get what they need and get set up where they want to be and, and uh, just kind of managing the show with my co-hosts. All right. That's good stuff. Hey, we, uh, I get, I get all into the baits and stuff. We got to take a break. And when we come back, uh, we'll wrap up the bait talk. Um, and then you mentioned something, uh, about the history of the sport, young people involved, young people not involved, a couple icons of the sport passed away recently. 
yeah. uh, that that were very involved. Whether the reason we're sitting here, the reason I'm sitting here today, the reason you're sitting there today, yeah. uh, and I would, uh, I just like to get kind of your take on that. Uh, yeah, you know. So, uh, BTL on a Wednesday with Bernie Schultz showing off. What was the name of that? A rat, rather or a mather frog? Mather, like Jerry Mather, the beaver. <laughs> You remember Showing that? off the Bather Frog. Yeah, the Mather Frog. Uh, BTO, we'll be back right after this. Your key to better fishing this season is Elite FS. Now available at a new lower price. Get Elite FS9 today for $9.99. And we'll throw in a CMAP reveal chart. Our premium mapping solution for free. Elite FS works with all state-of-the-art Lorenz sonar, from chirp, side-scan, and down-scan imaging with fish reveal to high-resolution active target live sonar. Elite FS9 and CMAP Reveal. Offer ends August 31st. The new Puma STS has been redesigned from the ground up. With the angler, design, function, and performance in mind, nothing on this new offering was compromised, and the only thing carried over from the previous version is the name. Based on the soft touch series hull that started with the flagship Jaguar, this new model is nimble and performs incredibly well at all speeds with either a 250 or 300 horsepower engine. Featuring a new 96 inch wide body footprint, this hull measures out at 20 foot 7 inches in length. Industry leading design coupled with tournament winning performance. The Puma STS from Basscat. Feel the rush. When you're catching fish for a living, you can't let a little cold, rain, heat, humidity, or anything else get in the way of a payday. I wear Apco. Any fish, any water. The KVD 100 Jerkbait. 15 different colors. A perfect combination of roll, wiggle, and flash. Increased castability. 3D eyes. Premium black nickel hooks. KVD. Tie one on. Striking lures. Are you looking to install your own fishing electronics? Well, the Bass Tank is here to help you. The solution is the Bass Tank Power Harness. It takes the guesswork out of installation. No more voltage issues or interference. Designed by an engineer so that you can get professional results right there in your own garage. Installation done right with the help of the Bass Tank Power Harness. You can feel confident knowing that your installation was done right. The Bass Tank Power Harness. Give us a call or order yours today at thebasstank.com. Elite Series Pro Daryl Gleason here. My Pro Guide batteries keep me going on those long tournament days and long practice days. Always plenty of juice, never fail. The best part about Pro Guide batteries, it's the people behind the company. They have over 40 years experience in the battery business, keeping all of us fishermen out on the water longer, catching more fish. Check them out at ProGuideBatteries.com. What's up, Bass Talk Live fans? Brandon Polinick here. And ever since I won a couple Bassmaster Elite Series events on X-Zone Lures, I've been getting a bunch of questions of what makes them so special and different. And really, the truth is, it's in the details. The little details, things like no cheap fillers in their plastic, that gives you more lifelike action, more realistic and vibrant colors. But... 
Don't just take my word for it. Go to www.xonlures.com and check them out for yourself. All right, we are back. BTL on a Wednesday with Bernie Schultz. Showing off some stuff that, uh, I mean, could you pay like, uh, could you put someone through college with that lure? Or is that like, uh, is there like a small niche? I mean, I, I know you don't have to tell me exactly how much it's worth, but I mean, are we talking like lots of zeros on that? Or is it one of those things that's hard to find, but the demand isn't high for it? Well, they're, they're so obscure. Most people aren't even aware of them. Even, even most collectors aren't even aware of them. Um, you know, these things are only worth what somebody's willing to pay for them. And to try and put a value on them, it values fluctuate with the economy, with demand. Uh, to me, it's worth a lot. It's priceless to me just because I like it so much. But I'm sure somebody out there could put a price on it. Hey, I, I, I'm not in, interested in selling it. So I know, I know. But do they still do the what's it worth feature every month in Bassmaster? Yes, they do. They still do that. It's not always accurate, but um, it, they still do that. I remember one time I had a, a old Eagle Claw rod that I think my uncle had given me from uh, New Orleans. And Mm -hmm. I mean, it looked old. And I just remember one time I was like reading Bass, Matt, this was a long time ago. Like I was probably still a kid. And I was like, this rod, this is, this rod has to be worth something. Just looked expensive and old. And I remember that rod showed up in what's it worth. And I was pumped. And then I was just heartbroken. It was worth like $25. (laughs) Yeah. You know, it comes down to how many were made, how many were sold. Uh, you know, the rarity is, is such a key factor, but like I talked earlier about, you know, it's things that are odd, unusual, mechanical, uh, lures that articulate, you know, early lures that that's part of the, you know, developing yeah. stages of it. That's that, those are kind of key things that, that dictate demand and value. You know what the craziest thing is like, yeah, we all like looking at those. They got fan belts and joints and all this stuff, but like, if you probably the most effective bait, like Cinco does nothing. Gary Yamamoto designed it after this pen right here. And it's like the such a polar opposite of that stuff is just not as sexy, but that probably puts more fish in the boat, especially in Florida than anywhere else. Yeah, it's, that thing works. It's universal. I don't know anywhere you could go and the bass exists and not coax a bass to eat it. Speaking of those, you saw the fish I sent you a picture of. That was, um, I don't know if you can put you that up. You sent me that this morning. Uh, I would have to email it uh, to myself, but it was that was a fall fish? I caught that just a few days ago on, on the uh, new Speed Cinco, the, speaking of that. Yamamoto. Yeah, you're getting there. That thing looks like a, like a fish that's ready to spawn. Are they ready to spawn down there already, Bernie? No, I'm in North Florida. Now, that can happen in South Florida in November, but uh, that fish is just healthy. It's It's been eaten well. I was fishing with a buddy of mine, and we we're uh, he's, he's a guy that kind of taught me the ropes when I first started. He's 82 now. He's We call him Coach Tanner. He's, he's kind of an icon in our area here in Gainesville, area of North Central Florida. But uh, anyway, I got him out on the water, and, and – uh, we went through a bunch of different lures and techniques and uh, the speed Cinco was the, the ticket. I mean, we call it that of- new. I didn't even know Yamamoto. They didn't even know they made a speed Cinco. It's brand new. It, it was introduced at ICAST and uh, it's, it, it's very similar to, I mean, you know, as far as profile, it looks like a lot of other speed worms. The difference is 
when a fish bites it, they don't let go. It's that same property with a, a regular Cinco. Once they get it in their mouth, there's something about the, the, you know, the silica and salt makeup of the bait that just the fish feels, it just feels alive to them, I guess. And they just don't let go. Yeah, but, there it is. Huh. You know, I don't know if you can put that up there, but it, it's an awesome bait. It's I was using a seven inch model and, and, uh, they were eating the paint off of that thing. There it is. There you go. Now you yeah. can fish it both ways. It's got, the paddle gives it more of a thump or you can break that little connecting piece mm-hmm. and, and it'll be more of a swimming tail and, and it flutters more that way. Um, I was using it as a, as a paddle and, and that big fish swallowed it. I mean, it was, it was, a, it was fun. It was a fun day. We caught over 30 fish in just a few hours. And uh, you know, for an 82 year old that doesn't get on the water much, mm-hmm. he had a really good time. You talk about paddle uh, paddles like that kind of on uh, plastic baits. I, I remember one that I used to, I mean, back when I was fishing out of the back of the boat in the Assumption Bass Club, I was a huge Ugly Otter fan, and it had a big, thick paddle tail on the back, and when you reeled it in, you could feel that big paddle tail going, blah, 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 blah. You that's remember right. the Ugly Otter? Yeah, yeah, yeah. That's Paddle tails are, that's kind of a Florida thing. I mean, the, my first exposure to those were in tidal rivers. Um, something about maybe it mimicked a needlefish. I don't know what else it could really resemble, but bass really showed a preference for those in tidal rivers. And then I started figuring out they worked in lakes. Shaw Grigsby and I won a tournament together on the uh, Mississippi Delta. Uh, it was the Hydrosport East-West Championship. And we won it with a crankbait that he, at the time he was working with Bagley and they had a fluorescent series of killer B2s. And that was his go-to. And I was throwing a paddle tail worm and we won the event with those two baits. And we did, we had never been there before. We showed up with a half a day of practice and uh, just did what we felt comfortable, you know, the same approach we'd use to the tidal rivers in Florida on the West coast. And we ended up catching enough fish to win. Um, and a paddle tail was a big player in that. It works on Lake Seminole. It works on Okeechobee, the Kissimmee chain, anywhere in Florida, a paddle tail, the St. John's River. Yeah. It's a really good bait. I feel like uh, I feel like there's been some top tens on a that kind of speedworm style bait like that up at Champlain, even. Yeah, I, man. And the I, shallow I, grass. I remember covering one, and guys was, guys were burning that that paddle tail worm style bait through. Florida style. Like I remember them being like, holy cow, we're catching them like Florida up here, except they're four pound largies. Yeah. That's where it shines is is shallow grass flats. It's ideal. It comes through anything and it's, but it's like reeling a spinnerbait. I mean, you just throw it out there and reel it in. You know what probably doesn't come through grass? That frog lure. No, that frog lure (laughs) lure would not come through grass. That that is open water exclusively. Yeah. It it looked like a 1962 motor guy wrapped up with leaves. (laughs) You got anything else you want to show before we move on? Uh, nothing. Uh, one bait that I, I do want to show this. This is a cool bait. And I know you got a lot of swim bait followers out there. This is a bait that I'm excited about. I've been catching snook with it. And uh, I got to open the package up. These are hard to get. People are going to have to look far and wide to find them. But they're, oh, it's a fishing bait, like something that you use yeah, now. Yeah, this, is, this is a Shimano Arma joint. And it's a new swim bait, and this thing is it, it kicks butt. Give me one second. They got okay. this thing wrapped up like it's. I know. I've noticed they do that now, especially uh, the little specialty lures. They'll put like all sorts of twist ties and stuff in them. 
Yeah. This oh, is that's a, pretty. Isn't that a gorgeous bait? Yeah. Okay. Now this bait's got two hinges in it, a midsection hinge and then a tail hinge. It's got the uh, flash boots boost feature, which you can see flickering in there. I, I, my lighting's so bad. Yeah, that's the what they came out with the uh, with the jerk bait a couple years ago with that little prism thing in there that moves. Last when year. It's, okay. That's right. Yeah, I caught a bunch of fish on the St. Lawrence tournament that I led for a few days um, on the jerk bait that had the flash boost feature, and they incorporated that in the Arma joint. And this bait has a beautiful swimming action. Uh, what it does is that other baits don't do. It'll fold completely in half like oh, that. Wow. And when you, you're wondering probably what advantage does that have? What it does is it allows you to throw this thing a country mile. It, there's like no wind resistance. It doesn't sail. It just collapses. And, and once it hits the water, it opens up, regains its normal pro, swimming profile. And it's got As a swimming or glide. It, it's kind of tight. Uh, okay. You know, it, it's not a wide gate, real wobbling types, um, you know, Boy, that looks Hard like a great herring thing. bait, Bernie. It's when it's they're on those big herring bait. during the herring spawn on yeah, those Carolina lakes. Yeah, I, I plan on making this bait work big time when we get up to uh, Murray, Lake Murray. It's on the schedule this year, and that's a whoops. I'm gonna break it. Um, that's that's a uh, herring lake, as you well know. But anyway, I'm I've been using it on snook. Hey, look, it's also under fifty snook. bucks. That's a first for a big jointed swim bait. Yeah. Yeah, it's it's a beautiful bait and it's it's super super well made. But uh, I'll tell you one thing: it does that other baits don't do that I've played with. Now I'm not Brandon Polnick mm -hmm. on swim baits, but this bait does something really unique, and I figured it out in my pool. When you pause this bait, it does an immediate about face. And I don't know if you've ever talked to Fritz about that. If you've done a podcast with Fritz, but. Fritz always wanted a crankbait when it was paused on deep structure. When he paused it, he wanted it to turn. And a lot of people don't know that. Um, I learned about it through Mark Fisher when he designed DTs with David Fritz, when David was with Rapala. And, and one of the ideas, the con, you know, swimming concepts uh, that he was after trying to uh, incorporate in the bait was to have it do an about pace, a face when it was paused. And this bait does that. You, when you're swimming it along and it stops, it swings right around. <laughs> it's the craziest thing. And to me, if you've got a big bass tracking the bait, he's never seen that before. And it, it kind of forces the issue for that fish. He, he's got to either bite it or run from it. And generally, you know, a, a predator fish is going to react to something like that. And, and I just think that's a, a cool feature that I don't even know if the bait designers realize that. Mm -hmm. But I saw it in my pool, and I really like that aspect of the bait. So you're thinking it's the fish going, I'm tracking, oh, crap, it sees me. I have one decision to make. I, yeah. it, I Like, it knows it's there, and it's now or never, and boom. Exactly. It's I didn't like, know Fritz was into that. I mean, it, that's that's fascinating stuff. Yeah, you should talk to him about it. You get, get him on. A, I, I don't know if Fritz is coming back this year. I, I'm going to be disappointed if he's not. But uh, I heard rumors that he's retiring. I don't know if that's true or not. I don't know. I've I've gotten to be in the boat with him one time on Gunnersville in a media event. Like I said, most of this is not by choice. He was scheduled with me for two hours. Anyway, we were out there and I was doing some stories and he told me the story about how he he like broke down or something happened one day of a tournament and he only had one four pounder. And uh was it Dewey at the time or uh the Dewey tournament director, yeah, was like, Hey, you wanna get the fish in? And he's like, Nah man, I've had a tough day. 
uh, I'll just chuck it and have someone bring my truck. And it was total weight is your angler of the year standings at the time. Yeah. And he missed the classic by less than four pounds <laughs> at uh, the end geez. of the year. Had the fish in the live well, literally threw it back, could have waited it. He says the last yeah. time I did that. Yeah, there's a lot of stories like that. It's, yeah. it's really. But scary. that was when he, I don't know if he still does it, but he was cranking with 30 pound braid. Huh. Straight 30 pound braid. Yeah. Well, he's forgotten more about crankbaits than most of us will ever learn. That guy's a, a genius when it comes to tuning and, and getting crankbaits. I mean, the DT success is all because of his effort. Mm-hmm. Uh, he did it for Pose. He's doing it for Berkeley now. I mean, wherever he goes, he's magic with crankbaits. And they catch him. Yeah. Yeah. Don't judge his recent performance. Um, you know, that, that guy's a wealth of knowledge. Yeah, absolutely. Um, yeah. Like I said, talking about history, talking about going back, uh, Ray Scott passing in the uh, past year, I actually have that Bassmaster cover sitting on my, uh, well, I've only got like a quarter of my house decorated so far. I've been in there a year, Bernie. It's kind of depressing. But uh, the part that is decorated, you know, I've got the magazines laid out, got the Ray Scott one right on top there. Uh, when you talk about the history, the appreciation, uh, of the sport, uh, the young guys coming up, even the old guys who have been in it for a long time, maybe take some stuff for granted. Where do you think we, we stand on that? And and this past year, how important is it to make sure that we remember the guys who kind of paved these paths to be able to do what we do? For me, it's essential. Um, -hmm. you know, it's, it's, he was such a major, major factor in, in the success of so many businesses and in, in the careers of so many anglers, uh, you know, huge sales uh, groups like, you know, rep groups and marketing firms were all developed as a result of, of his vision, really. Um, his, his impact on the sport was incredible, probably more so than anybody in, in our lifetime for sure. And, and before and, and, down the road. I, I just, Ray Scott was a special individual. He was a salesman, but he was genius. Um, and what, one of the things that he was so good at was bringing people into uh, not just the sport, but just making them believe in what he was doing and make them feel a part of what he was doing. I, I'll tell you, I, this is probably not going to be a, a popular comment, but I was really disappointed. I went to his service in Montgomery and the lack of pro participation there or, or attendance really disappointed me. So many guys, their careers were built off, you know, Ray and, and the Bass Angler Sportsman Society and what he developed and what he, he conceived. For them not to go there and, and pay respects really disappointed me. It, it, uh, and a lot of big name pros weren't there that should have absolutely been in, in attendance. Um, I thought it was disrespectful and uh disappointing um he didn't deserve that ray opened the door for a lot of people and uh they don't come any better to me he and forrest wood are the two biggest names in fishing and uh both of them did so much for people that they didn't even like in in the case of forrest wood he helped guys he didn't even sponsor you know he opened doors for people that he didn't even sponsor uh he he helped build the showcase with Ray and, and for those guys not to be recognized at the level that, that they deserve is, is to me a travesty. That's well said, Bernie. Um, I talked with actually called me, called me as he was leaving. Cause I just had a conversation with him about 
uh, the history and legacy of the sport. And uh, Rick Pierce from Bass Cat is coming on the show uh, on Monday to talk about some things. And he said, dude, he said, well, he didn't say dude. Rick doesn't say that, but he said Matt. He called, he said Matt, he said, when it's out, I want you to go watch Ray Scott Celebration of Life Memorial Service. And it wasn't out at the time. Um, and I got it pulled up here and I know I talked with you about it and I want to bring it up. I mean, it's not a, it's not a sexy topic. It's not who's leaving where and who's upset at who and how did it, but it's, it's the whole reason it all exists. And I think it's an essential part in understanding moves and decisions and where we came from and not, and, and, and where we're going in the future based on the route. So, I mean, I kind of have a challenge for the BTL listeners, which is, uh, I, I love the BTL listeners, man. These guys, thousands and thousands of people listen to an hour, an hour and a half show, uh, every single day, Monday through Thursday. And even if it's in place of listening to a BTL, not this one, cause that's the only way you know it. Bassmaster has out on their Bassmaster YouTube channel. It's, uh, an hour and 51 minutes. It is Ray Scott's celebration of life memorial service. And it's only got 7,000 views on it right now. Uh, and there's a hell of a lot more than 7,000 people uh, that would understand a lot about the sport and have an appreciation uh, for what we have now based on one man's vision and the people that he then surrounded him with, that he surrounded himself with to grow this thing. So, uh, Ray, just just type in the, in the YouTube, Ray Scott's Celebration of Life uh, Memorial Service. I've got it pulled up. While you were talking, yeah, it's um, must view, must must yeah. view. Uh, so here's the crazy thing, know. Bernie. So this is how the whole thing starts, right? Can you see that? Yeah, very well. And I was watching it. My birthday is August eighteenth, nineteen eighty four. Oh wow, that's kind of weird. That's the Pine Bluff, Arkansas deal. Uh, but do I mean just to go through it? There's all sorts of things about Ray. There's Rick. There's uh uh family members there's all sorts of people throughout i'm going through there's bob cobb right there need to know who he is there's all sorts of you know roland martin all sorts of uh legends bill dance talking there like i said i'm going through the end of it there's there's bill dance talking uh all sorts of of uh really cool stuff in that so highly highly recommend and challenge even if, if if you don't listen to it watch it but uh, if you're a fan of bass fishing, that is well worth the hour and 51 minutes. Yeah, I mean, I have a, a lot of respect and, and, and admiration for what he did. But he gave me opportunities off the water. I, as you know, I was an illustrator for Bassmaster Magazine for, and Bass Times for quite a few years. And then I kind of transitioned into just writing. But that opportunity came through Dave Precht and Ray Scott. And, and uh so I was able to realize another avenue in, in the sport aside from competitive fishing. So I have maybe stronger ties than a lot of guys, but still there's so many guys out there that built their careers off of bass, you know, a day out of their lives could, couldn't have hurt to go and pay respects. I just, just so disappointed in that. I hear you. I think um, you'll also understand. I'm not, I'm not getting into the politics or any of this stuff, but I think if you watch that, you'll understand the deep-seated loyalty that certain people feel towards bass and why 
MLF wasn't a hundred percent just like, oh yeah, this is great. This is it's because of this history that existed, Bernie. Absolutely. That's my personal opinion. And there are so many that don't understand that history, and I don't understand it as much as I should. Thankfully, you know, I get to talk to a lot of people who do. I hung out with Harold Allen for five years, who I however you want to put his sense of history, but he appreciate appreciated the old guard and having Ken Duke on and and you know being able to go back and go holy cow there's 97 years of tournament experience between rick clun and larry nixon and they were fishing 10 years before i was born and i'm going to get to watch both of them compete on the Bassmaster elite series this year with 141 championships between flw and the Bassmaster classic between them i mean that's cool that we live in a time where we still have that yeah it is very cool i, I hope at some point they have a seniors tour um, and, and get some of the guys that are still kind of on the sidelines back involved, um, you know, like Roland. I'd like to see Roland back on on tour, but you know, the Elite Series. But that just hasn't hasn't happened yet. But here's your ch- here's your challenge, Bernie. That will 100% happen. Like I said, Bass Ray Scott salesman sat there at Toomer's Corner with the hat down there at Auburn. Sold. I did the documentary. Went down there. And guy said, "Yeah, Ray said he was in it to make money for profit. Yeah, he had a passion for it. Everything is. You find a way to make a senior tour lucrative, where you can go to Bass and say, "Hey, you have four events with this with these guys, and here's how you make money on it. Guaranteed, it happens. Yeah. Guaranteed." That's what it takes. It takes a group of people to say, here's how you will make money on it. Here's how it will benefit the organization. Then it benefits the fans, benefits the legends. That's how it happens. Yeah. In fact, it might be in the works now. Um, That would be awesome, Bernie. Yeah. I I don't have any details, but that might be in the works now. That would be awesome. It's an awesome, you know, lifestyle and and sport that we have. And, And Ray was such a big factor in developing all that. So it's sad that he's gone, but man, did he leave us mark. I mean, he, he was such a, he was bigger than life and he did so many great things in the sport. And, uh, it was good to see the people that did show up. Uh, it, there was a good group there and I uh, got to reconnect with a lot of old people, uh, both people that I fished against, but also people that I worked with editorially, uh, through bass. So it, uh, you know, it's just, one of those things mm-hmm. that got me fired up. Hopefully I didn't go too far off the rails. Not at all. Not at all. Uh-huh. Now, what else you got before you get on the road? Uh, you know, just, it's that time of year where we're selling boats and getting new boats rigged and, and, uh, working out sponsor contracts. Uh, we'll be ordering shirts here shortly. Uh, planning show schedules. I've been doing a lot of promotions with my son. My son's a rep in the fishing industry. And we share several brands together, Shimano primarily. Really? Um, he, uh, he's open, he's back in Florida. He started in Alabama and Georgia with the firm that he's with. It's a very large group called Don Coffee and Associates. And they have some great brands, Shimano, Costa Del Mar, uh, Ingle Coolers, um, you know, uh, Loomis. They're, they're big. And uh, he's now back in Florida, which is his territory. And I've been helping him open some stores and do some in-store promotions grand openings and I'll be doing some more of that and, and fishing with him. He's my saltwater fishing buddy. Um, and, uh, hopefully get, get on the water with my other son. He's down on the East coast and, and, uh, like to loop him in also, but it's, it's kind of getting to the time of year where it's about family and, uh, family gatherings and trying to work that in. And then also prep for next year. I'm planning to do a lot of pre-fishing as well. 
you know, there's several events that are within well within range of my house. Uh, Seminole, Okeechobee, mm -hmm. uh, Murray, Santee Cooper, all those. Oh, so dude, yeah, you're like, that's a wheelhouse deal, Bernie. It's a, a fabulous schedule. I have no excuses. Um, there's really no weak links for me this year. Uh, the only thing that could set me back would be a really severe cold front in the two Florida events. I, I consider Seminole part of Florida. Mm -hmm. it, it's got, there's a bit of the lake that's, that touches the uh, state, but it's, it's actually in Georgia and Alabama more so, but uh, it fishes like Florida and uh, it's susceptible. It's got Florida strain, largemouth, and Northern strain. Uh, and the cold fronts can wreak havoc on that lake, just like they do the Florida lakes. But um I don't have any excuses, really. It's a great schedule. We have three events in the north, and I like all three venues, St. Clair, Champlain, St. Lawrence. Uh, <laughs> maybe my last good chance to really make a statement, so I'm looking forward to it. I'm calling it right now. Tenth uh, Classic coming up in 2024 for Bertie Schultz. That'd be good. Nice uh, double-digit classic uh, right there. I do have a question. You did mention the sponsors. Last year you ran the, was it the PowerPole Charge Boat? Yes, still are. are you, you still are? Okay, so I, uh, if you if you listen to the debacle of BTL over the last year, you'll know that like I, I'm with Pro Guide Batteries, and we had Matt Looney on, and he was describing all of the advantages, and then I roll with the guys who have the charge system, so the new Bass Cat that's coming in next year, Lithium's with the Power Pole Charge. Uh, I'm, I'm excited to that. It seems like that's an unbelievable peace of mind with that Power Pole Charge system. Really easy to look at, and keeps i mean it seems like it just you can go on forever on that thing to me it's a as essential as power poles themselves um themselves it uh you know it, if you have a 30 minute run back to the ramp your your cranking battery and trolling batteries are mostly charged by the time you ever get to the hotel because of that um and it could save you on the water if, if you have a an issue on the water it's got a, a jump start feature uh, it can charge while you're running down the lake. It can charge out of an AC outlet. It can balance the charge. You can direct the charge in your batteries, dictate where the charge goes. Um, it, it connects to your phone. Uh, it's just, it's, it's an awesome, awesome piece of equipment. Uh, and, you know, no guarantees, but it looks like we're going to have the new trolling motor for the new season. That thing's That's like a I, Sasquatch, Bernie. We've been hearing and seeing I just know, like... I, well, blurry well, images and rumors that there's a power pole trolling motor out there for the last five years. Well, one exists. I can prove I, I, I've got one. I've had, oh, it on my, I've had it on my skiff since May of 2021. Wow. More than a year. Well, more than a year. And uh, it's flawless. It That thing has done nothing but perform. It's silent. It, it's got incredible features. It's got a feature that no other uh, contemporary trolling motor has. And I can't reveal that just yet, but it's 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 the best trolling motor by far ever conceived. There's no no contest, and I mine's been in saltwater for a year and a half, and I grind it into bottom and oyster bars and marl and all kinds of, of substrate that would be hard on any other trolling motor. And this thing performs like the day I got it, and I'm told that we will have them for the season. So I'm excited about that. That's good stuff. Yeah, I remember. I think didn't they kind of first introduced the charge like chris lane did a big deal at the classic on it but then it kind of went away or they revamped it or something and this like the past year i i asked like 10 guys who i knew had it and it was 10 for 10 like yeah you're an idiot for not having it especially if that was an option they're like it's it's 
10 for 10. Like, didn't have a single guy that was like, yeah. eh, it's okay. They were all like, yeah, no, it's amazing. Yeah. Well, on, on the charge system, I'm working with a battery company that's located close to PowerPole, and he's designed his batteries to complement the algorithms of the charge system. It's uh, The brand is Don't Die. It's made by Lithium Battery Company. I have a set of batteries that I bought from this guy in 2015 for my skiff. They're in my skiff today, and they're as strong today as they were the day I got them. And uh, not all lithium batteries are created equal. People really need to do their research. But uh, I, I would suggest they look at, at least look into Don't Die simply because his batteries sync well with the charge algorithm and, and system. So there's you don't have a problem with batteries going to sleep on you or not getting charged equally, which is, has been an issue for some you know, lithium batteries, as I'm sure you're well aware of. I would love to know in 1967, if you were to mention battery algorithms and seeing underwater in front of the boat, I bet Ray Scott would have just taken his hat off and said, what? <laughs> yeah. Yeah. As a visionary as he was, it, it probably yeah. shocked him. Uh, yeah. I mean, he was, that's the reason we have uh live wells. That's the reason we have kill switches. That's the reason that the uh, modern bass boat is, is, developed i mean but basically yep. everything that exists is a result of progress that started yep. with ray and that ray pushed and then found people that uh you know like a, a forest yeah uh or to progress the sport so bernie yep. this has been good stuff man i've really enjoyed it likewise it's always a pleasure and uh you do a good thing, man. Uh, hopefully your followers are, are watching and, and appreciating what you do. It is. It's been a really good year. Uh, if you if you guys miss uh, Mark Jeffries, which obviously I miss Mark Jeffries. It's a different show. Uh, it's a totally different show without him. It's just a different show. It's just me, not Mark. And Mark had different ideas. He's a... Uh, He's an old school guy, uh, and I'm sure that some of my rant was a rub off of, you know, Mark Jeffries over the last 14 years with it. But he actually did a Mark After Dark yesterday on his birthday last night. Uh, I didn't listen to it. I just let him have it. It's the second time he's jumped on at like 10 p.m. and just done a uh, done a show for a couple of hours. But he's doing great, Bernie. I don't know when the last time you talked to him is. He is now a head bowling coach, has a massive recruiting budget, is traveling all over the country trying to get high school bowlers to go to Southern Nazarene University for their inaugural program that he is the head coach of. I'm sure he'll be successful at whatever he does. You know, we used to say he was the hardest working man in bass fishing. I'd get up at 5 a.m., 4.30 a.m. in the morning for a tournament, and he'd be in the lobby of the hotel banging away on a keyboard. And come back, you know, after dinner at night, he'd be sitting there banging away on a keyboard covering the events. And I think you are the guy that he passed the – you know, clearly pass the baton to. So you, you're working your way into that role as, as we speak. So well, good job. That's high praise. So, uh, I'm sure I'll see you a lot around the road on the road well, at one of their, two of the events that I get to this year. I'm planning on doing a lot, a couple more on location things, not at every elite series, but I'd like to get to a couple of them this year. So, uh, I'm on the road. I have to go film a, uh, TV show crappie fishing on Lake Eufaula, which is, going to be doable but challenging so that that starts at noon i got the rig lined up to do that you are headed uh with your fan frog and a number of other lures to the to to the uh savannah tackle show if you are in that area five dollars to get in the website that you can go to again is what is it again f a 
tc.net. Yes. November 11th and 12th at the Hilton Savannah Airport Conference. Is that it? Hilton Savannah? It's, it's the Embassy Suites. By Embassy Open. Suites. Yeah. And uh, kids under 12 are admitted free with, with an adult if they're with an adult. And uh, yeah, I would encourage anybody within range to come see us. You'll learn a lot. You'll meet some some guys there that are extremely knowledgeable. Uh, some other fishing pros will be there. The Watch Brothers from Powerpole, they'll be there. They're Redfish champions. Um, Chuck Hedden, great-grandson of Charles Hedden, he'll be there. Um, That's it, bait, it, it, royal, cool or bait royalty, isn't it? Yes, sir. Yep, it, it'll be a cool event. Oh, and Dave Pfeiffer is uh, our illustrious president at Shimano America. He's... Uh, supposed to show up and I'm looking forward to it. He's a, a jig collector. He likes uh, like saltwater jigs, which are a whole other fath- fathom uh, facet themselves. Hey, do you have any of those like thousand dollar Shimano's that are like, they're real, they're heavy, but they're like silver. And then you can take a plate off and it's got like expert, like total free. You know what I'm talking about? No, not none of those are in my quiver. Okay. Anyway, Jared Miller had a couple of them, and he let me. Uh, I was like, I, I, I'm real poor right now. Like, right, I'm waiting for Denali's reels to come out, so I'm like working with scraps here. And he, I, he's like, I was like, what? He's like, you want to use them for Hartwell? You might have to cast a long way to those spots. And I was like, absolutely. Holy cow! It's literally like a computer when you cast. Well, yeah. If you're talking about the DC series, that they've employed that concept in a, a number of reels across the board it, it kind of trickled down that was their highest end feature for a while and now you can get that in in the Corrado so it um they got a, a reel f- at every price point for every level of angler out there um left and right hand retrieves bait and spin um and they the quality is just so good now Shimano's done such a great job in, in bringing their high-end concepts to affordable reels at lower price points and uh yeah, so this was durable. not the affordable one <laughs> yeah, was, I mean, it wasn't even enjoyable to run with it because a yeah. couple times i'd be running and like i'd be like oh it's not strapped and i would just shut down in the middle of the lake water over the back <laughs> i'd be like yeah, even I mean, if i cash a check and lose one i break even yeah the sky's the limit on on what you can spend for reels but you know they're lifetime reels too and they have features that are off the charts and yeah it's good stuff and design Anyway, I just wonder if you had that because I was like, I made a catch with it. And then I didn't, I hooked one. I didn't even realize the drag was going out on it. And I'm like, why is he not? And then I realized it was like peel of drag. It's, it was like butter. It was good all stuff. Right. All the technology now across the companies and everything. It's insane how much good stuff is out there is. across the board. It truly is. All right, Bernie, I'll let you get on the road. Greatly appreciate it. We're kind of all over the board. But uh, I guess we'll have you back on in the first quarter of 20. 23 after you back-to-back top 10 events in your neck of the woods sound good i hope that works out yeah i like the sound of that and always a pleasure i'll definitely be here and and i appreciate anybody that was listening in all right see you bernie thank you bye-bye all right that was bernie schultz covered a variety of topics there and i went on a history rant which is something that i uh which is something that I haven't done in a long time. So, all right, we're going to take our final break of the show, come back, wrap things up with what we have going on for the rest of the week, and then I'm getting on the road to go try to catch a couple crappie. BTL on a Wednesday. We'll be back right after that. Combining one of the most popular hook styles with Gamakatsu's beefier Superline offering, the Gamakatsu Superline Offset Round Bend. 
delivers the strength necessary to target big fish in heavy cover. Well suited for braided line and heavier fluorocarbon, the Gamakatsu Superline Offset Round Bend is built using stronger Superline wire that allows anglers to easily fish a finesse worm around heavy cover. The round bend offers a larger bite area, perfect for any worm presentation, while increasing your hookup ratios. The newly enhanced Z-Band holds your plastics on the hook longer, reducing the number of pull-offs and reducing damage to plastics. Available in 2-aught, 3-aught, 4-aught, and 5-aught, this is the most durable worm hook, designed for heavier lines that hold your bait on longer. Preparation is key to success, and that preparation starts well before you ever hit the water. You're only as strong as your connection to the fish, and your line is that critical connection. Confidence in your line every minute of every day on the water is a necessity, and failure, it's not an option. Sunline makes the fluorocarbon, nylon, and braided lines to give you the strength to guarantee your confidence. Vibrating jigs are a great choice for any time of year, and the Kamikaze Swim-On is a perfect match for any vibrating jig. Two sizes and the unique tail design gives it a bait fish profile and a great swimming action for realism. There are 17 colors. See them all at BigBiteBaits.com. The Spro Little John crankbait has been around for almost 15 years, and it is one of my go-to crankbaits whenever I need a fish in the boat, so you can never have enough new colors. That's why Spro's coming out with a handful of new colors, including Pearl Shad, which has this bleached out white look, but it's got this pearlescent, really, really pretty. We've got Copper Shad, which looks amazing in the water. It's got that purple flake on the back, really, really pops in the water. And then if you want some real pop, we've got Sparkle Shad, nothing but sparkles all over this thing. And then last but not least, we've got the matte sexy shad just a really different looking color for a crankbait so you want to give them a little different look that matte sexy shad is definitely the one to go with all these colors are available in the original little john and the md have you considered purchasing new electronics for your rig the type of mounts you choose to protect your investment should be part of the decision making process no matter if you prefer one, two, or three graphs up front, Beatdown Outdoors has a solution for you. Adjustable, versatile, rigid, and made in the USA. What's your ultimate electronic setup? Check out the full selection of Beatdown Outdoors products by visiting BeatdownOutdoors.com. All right, wrapping things up here on a Wednesday with BTL. Big shout out to Bernie Schultz. Like I said, I think he hung out a little extra uh, before he got on the road to that uh, to that antique lure event. I kind of understand that. Like my dad is like one of the uh, foremost authorities in the world on antique soldering irons. Uh, when I go home and visit, like I will for a day for uh, Thanksgiving coming up, my room has. Uh, very well organized boxes that all have antique soldering irons in them and then there's like a little tag with a number on each soldering iron and then that number equates to a three ring binder with a notebook that has where he got it from the patent for that particular antique soldering iron and then the history behind the inventor or that and he's got that for thousands of them kind of a cool thing probably end up in a museum somewhere in the next 50 years. So, uh, all right. Someone, uh, 
Oh, we got big story time tomorrow with Frank Scalish because I think he may have had a brush with the with the ten pound smallmouth. I was talking to Frank afterwards. I mentioned this on the show before. He said, "Dude, he did say, dude. He does say, dude. He said, dude. Frankie and I were out there, man. He said we were out there smashing them, and that was like I think that he has deducted that he was within like ten miles or less of fishing with Frankie when the ten point one five uh." Smallmouth was caught last week, so I'm sure we're going to dive into that uh, on day four uh, with the man, Uncle Frank Scalish. I also mentioned it with Bernie, uh, Rick Pierce from Bass Cat Boats, uh, uh, another guy who was at Ray Scott's Celebration of Life uh, a couple months ago, or a month ago. Uh, he passed away in, in uh, May of this past year, but, uh, we'll get Rick on. He's going to talk a little bit about what's going on with the boating industry, uh, bass cap boats, maybe talk a little bit about maybe some winterization, uh, what to, uh, look for in that. And then, uh, his take, I want to get his take on Larry Nixon, uh, coming back to the elite series, all sorts of stuff. Always good story time, uh, with Rick Pierce when he's on BTL. And then, uh, I don't know what else we have for next week. Like I said, they just came out with the, with the list of, uh, uh, BPT guys, uh, and the guys who are on and the guys who are not on. So maybe I'll dive into that when we have time. But uh, I am on my way to you falling now to go try to catch a crappie. Big shout out to Bernie Schultz. We'll see everyone tomorrow for another day four with Frank Scalish. See ya.